87% of realtors get into the business and get out of the business in two years. That doesn't exist in our world. We have massive visions around growing our businesses, and we are always looking to add talent to our world. We do everything in our power to ensure the people we surround ourselves with defy the odds, get into production, and build massive lives for themselves. If you are a realtor looking to get into the business, we have a blueprint for success. With locations all across Canada, reach out to us. Let's talk about partnership and opportunities. We are looking forward to it. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Sales Beast Podcast. We're here today with David Justizia, Mortgage Alliance. David is someone we work with very closely and he's extremely knowledgeable on the market. And that's what we're all looking for in this tough market. Rates just went up 1%, not something I was expecting. Um, and it, it raises a lot of questions. Where are we going and what impact is this going to have on us as realtors and on our clients as we move into the future? So David, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, yeah, thanks so much, Mike, for having me. Yeah, before we uh, get into everything that's going on in, in this crazy world, could you maybe share a little bit of background on yourself? Absolutely. So um, I come from the wealth management space. Actually, prior to this, I, I spent some time both in the banks doing funding and wealth, as well as in some boutique firms. And um, so when we when we kind of approach our, our client discussions and how we approach our team is a very holistic approach um, in terms of looking at kind of the overall client picture understanding you know exactly what they need and how we're going to go about taking them through all the steps that they need to get there so uh, we actually myself and, and my partners who operate two mortgage teams we have vision mortgage group which is our residential division so that deals with you know first-time home buyers refinances self-employed clients residential investors uh, and then we also have vision capital partners which is our commercial arm they take care of you know large apartment buildings industrial finance land development uh, that type of thing. So we, as, as an amalgamated team, we deal with, you know, mortgages for pretty much every possible situation. Um, and so we've, we've been doing this for, for quite some time now. And uh, we have a, a team of 12 behind us, all, all wonderful people that specialize in their own areas that uh, can kind of help the clients get to where they need to go and help them plan out that vision. That's awesome. So help get the clients to where they need to go, help get them to their vision how how are we doing that in this uncertain world? Um, I know we spoke offline about some of the challenges your clients are encountering. Can you speak to that maybe? Yeah, I think, you know, for for most of the clients that we see, it's it's a couple things. And, you know, every client's in a very unique position, right? And and for many people, having their mortgage is just about, you know, owning a home and, and trying to become mortgage-free at its, you know, at, at its simple core. Um, and so a lot of the discussion right now, both for you know, people that are actively looking for homes or people that are already in homes, perhaps with variable mortgages or perhaps with fixed mortgages coming up to renewal, are, you know, what do I do now? What, you know, we've seen interest rates, you know, effectively more than double in the past six months. Um, you know, what kind of approach do we take? Should we be in fixed? Should we be in variable? How does this impact my affordability? How does this impact my ability to pay off debt? Um, you know, for those coming out of variable mortgages at, at many of the big banks where the payment doesn't change as the rates go up, people are looking on their online banking, they're seeing 40, 50 year amortizations. We're getting um, very close to perhaps a first batch of what's called trigger rates, where people who haven't seen payment changes be, because they have that special type of product are going to get a note from the bank saying, hey, you either have to increase your payment by this amount or you're going to have to write us a big check. 
um, because your your payment is no longer even covering the interest on your mortgage, never mind paying down the principal. And so, you know, our our starting point with everybody is really understanding what is it that you want to accomplish, right? What is the end game? And that is different for everybody. For investors, it might be I want to take on as much debt as I can because I want to leverage as much as I can because I want to acquire as much as I can. You know, for, for many other people, it might be just how can I pay this off in the most cost-effective way? How can I get myself to a debt-free position? And it's the balance of uncertainty. It's not understanding where things are going. I, I pulled a quote for a presentation we did a few months ago, um, about 12 months ago from Bank of Canada. And, and in that quote, their guidance was that rates would not move until 2023. And at the time that they started moving rates in 2023, rates would be moved slowly and cautiously. Um, we've now seen nine rate hikes in um, four months. So, you know, that guidance for those people that were making decisions based on that BOC guidance last year, you know, what we understand is that things are dynamic. Just because that's the information that they were providing in the summer of last year doesn't mean it's something they're going to do in a year or two. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why that's happened, but it really comes down to what can we do to make the most of the situation we have today? And how can we situate you into the best possible position to manage your debt load? So I want to bring it back just a little bit for people listening that are either new to the industry or still understanding kind of what this world can provide. But um, what were some of the biggest reasons why the Bank of Canada and the government of Canada decided to make all those rate increases in the last couple months? Yeah, so I'll... I'll tell a little bit of a story, I guess. So we saw um, coming out of 2019, rates were on the rise and, and the projection was they were gonna continue to do so. Um, I'll, I'll try and keep it really at, at the fundamentals. So Bank of Canada, one of their mandates is to manage inflation. And one of the ways that they do that is with the overnight lending rate, which is um, correlated to the, the bank prime rate, which determines mortgage rates. And so, the Bank of Canada uses what's called a neutral zone. So when their overnight lending rate is between two and 3%, and after this last rate hike, it's now at two and a half. So today we're right in the middle of that neutral rate. That rate is such that it's neither spurring economic growth, right? Nor is it putting drag on the economy. It's what they would call a neutral stance. And so as we were coming out of 2019, we were approaching just borderline getting back into that neutral zone, which is kind of where they want the long-term rates to sit. And then COVID hit, right? The world shut down March of 2020. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody understood what recovery was going to look like and how badly this was going to impact us. So the Bank of Canada made a series of very quick rate drops and um, in, in a pretty expedient manner brought the overnight lending rate to um, 0.25. So almost, almost nothing. And so the the understanding was always going to be that as the economy recovered, there would be this rise back up to achieve that neutral zone where they want to be. Um, but then what happened over the past six months, as the economy started to recover, COVID restrictions started to lift, is we saw crazy inflation numbers, inflation numbers that haven't been seen in, in years and years. And so, you know, what that means is, is that the prices of, of everything are are going significantly up eight, nine, 10% inflation in, in an economy that typically sees, you know, one to 3%. And that is the Bank of Canada mandate, staying to keep inflation between one and 3%. Um, and so what's happened is they're seeing strong economic growth, they're seeing good employment numbers, they're seeing good business recovery, 
knowing that they have to start raising these rates irrespective of inflation, they aim to get back into the neutral zone. Um, but now they have to jump and they have to jump quickly because the way that most central banks battle inflation is with increasing interest rates. And so, you know, that has been the spur as to why the guidance from them 12 months ago was, hey, we might start kicking this off in 2023. We're going to do it slow and steady. And then, you know, you turn around, you come into, you know, March of 2022 and they kick it off with a rate hike followed by a double, followed by a double, followed by a throughful in rapid succession. Um, and now that we're in the neutral zone, the expectation, the guidance from them is we're actually going to need to go beyond that neutral zone. So now it's not just about getting the rates to that point of stability where it doesn't spur growth and it doesn't detract from the economy. They need to actively push it above to aim to tame inflation, right? And so we're actually seeing that on a global scale right now, uh, for the most part. While there are a few holdout countries that we're seeing in Europe that don't believe that the, the rate changes are going to work. So there's still some areas where you're seeing these super artificially low rates, but um, you know, we're seeing everybody in most of the developing world battling the same problem. So this isn't a unique to Canada situation. We're seeing it in the States, we're seeing it in Europe. Um, and so that's really the reason behind this big push and this big accelerated movement that's you know far faster than anybody had anticipated. I know um it's probably very hard for you to answer this, but it's a question I get from my clients a lot. How, how long or how far will the Bank of Canada continue to push the rates up? Because there, do you guys have any insight as to when they'll stop and when inflation will round the curve and actually start coming down? I think yeah. for some of our clients, probably all of us, we're all in a similar age group here. I know stories. I hear stories from my parents back in I think late seventies, early eighties, the rate was 15, 16%. And yeah. I know clients asking me, Mike, do you think it's going to get to that point? I honestly don't know the answer. I know what happened in the past. So I guess it's possible it could happen again, but what's, what's your take on that? Yeah. So a couple of things, um, you know, if I take my opinion out of the equation for a minute, um, you know, where do we get our information from that is a really good starting point. So um, the economists at our big six banks, so the big five most people know about plus National Bank that less people talk about um, tend to be the prevailing source for this information, right? So the banks internally in understanding what, what their year is going to look like and their products and their rates and their volumes and everything like that, they're doing these assumptions, they're doing their modeling to determine where do they think this is going to end? How do they think it's going to play out? Um, so without getting into you know too deep the specifics, if I kind of just amalgamate the guidance, I, I will say a few things. Number one, the banks are not in agreement. So we are seeing some banks say, we think this is gonna happen. And we see some banks saying, we think that that's gonna happen. And, and those two things are vastly different. And so they're not, there's not kind of a co-current consensus on here's where it's gonna go, here's where it's gonna stop. Um, but if we kind of amalgamate the data, the expectation is, you know, four to five more increases, which would put the overnight lending rate at, you know, three and a half to 3.75, which would be somewhere between a half a point to 75 basis points over the top end of the neutral rate. And, you know, we'll see that as we ride out the rest of this year coming into early 2023. Um, expectations for inflation cooling are really varied. Some are thinking as soon as six to eight months, some are thinking like a year or two out. Um, but there is a pretty good prevailing consensus that they then expect a pullback in rates coming into the end of 2023, 2024, 
coming back towards that neutral zone, remembering that that two to three range is where Bank of Canada wants to see the long-term interest rate environment, right? And right now today, we're, we're right in the middle of that. So the expectation is very unlikely to see the rates we had during COVID ever again, and, you know, barring some other massive economic shock. Um, but that will likely push forward from here another four to five increases, but then at some point probably pull back perhaps into the range we are today, but the jury's kind of out on exactly where the chips are going to fall on that. Okay. And um, then we don't expect massive double digit interest rates. I think there's, there's a deep understanding by both the central banks, sorry to cut you off there, Mike, but both by the central banks as well as the governments that the Canadian debt loads as, as a percentage of our incomes, as a percentage of our GDP is very high in, in the developed nations, uh, as well as the government debt loads. And, they understand how much of Canadian wealth is, is now stuck in real estate. Um, and so I think there would be a huge hesitancy for them to knowingly entirely collapse the real estate markets, right? They're happy with some cooling. They don't mind some pullback. Um, you know, do I think they're going to be comfortable seeing 60% declines in house prices? Absolutely not, right? Um, so there is going to be, I predict, there's going to be a somewhat of a limiting threshold there um where there is going to be a point at which they they do have to make the decision that even if inflation hasn't been cooled chasing after cooling inflation at the cost of just continuing to to raise interest rates is not going to be an effective method and that's what we saw in the 80s right where it peaked up around 20 um where it just became this methodology of like inflation's not stopping let's move them again let's move them again let's move them again it almost became like a self-fulfilling prophecy um and so we spent you know 35 years recovering back downwards to the rates we have today from that. Um, but, it, you know, that's kind of where the general economic consensus sits on this right now. Okay. And for, for anyone wondering, four to five increases, what does that mean in terms of percentage points or basis? Yeah. So, sorry, that would be, so typically when we say increases, we're talking about one quarter of 1%. Now, okay. sometimes they'll do double increases, which would be a half a percent. The most recent increase was a full percent, which I would typically call like a quadruple increase. Um, so that would mean another one to 1.25%. So uh, most of the bank's prevailing prime rates, which is what most people are interested today is 4.7. Um, so that would mean perhaps topping out with prime ending up around 5.95 if you know everything follows along that trajectory. Okay. And then the question I'm getting a lot from, uh, from our clients is, Given the environment we're in today, do we go variable or do we go fixed? I'm sure you get that question all the time. What's what's your recommendation? All the time. Um, the recommendation, you know, much much like financial planning and, and wealth management, is that there isn't really a one size fits all. Um, you know, if you look at the last forty years, those in variable have done much better. Um, if you look at the last forty years, we've also had a fairly steadily declining interest rate environment. But I think you know, the reality for that is it comes down to understanding how each person is positioned, what they're using the money for. Is this a primary residence they're trying to pay down or are they a serial real estate investor trying to buy more properties? Um, but one of the things that we're seeing is that spread between variable and fixed, that premium you have to pay to get to a fixed rate can be quite substantial. Um, you know, so we're still seeing insured mortgages, meaning, you know, buyers with less than 20% down where variable rates are, you know, prime minus nine, or prime minus 0.9, meaning that they're getting in rates right now at, you know, 3.8 or thereabouts. Um, you know, we're, we're fixed in you know, a lot of those lenders are, you know, 
borderline five, maybe a little bit over five. Um, and so that extra price that you're paying is, is you know, quite a premium to lock into fixed. And, and when you look at mortgage rates, sorry, this is kind of a sidebar, but, but it's important. Um, the fixed rates are driven by a different set of instruments than the variable rates. So the variable rates are driven off the prime rate, which Bank of Canada has direct control over through moving the overnight lending rate. The fixed rates are driven by the bond yields. And the bond yields are like stocks traded every day. Um, you know, people buy and sell, and depending on supply and demand, a, a price gets set and a price changes. And so what that means is, you know, if we assume a reasonably efficient market, that the pricing of the bonds is including all of those future expectations, right? So those investors where, where the bonds are sitting and, and driving those fixed rates, take an example, let's say the fixed rate was 5.1 and the variable rate was 3.8. Well, what that tells me is that, you know, those bonds are pricing in 1.25% in movement, right? So when that 1.25% in movement happens, that variable rate's now gone from 3.8 to 5.05, which is, you know, five basis points below that 5.1. Um, and so a lot of that has already been priced into the fixed. And so if we believe that, you know, the, the rates are going to peak, but then come back down to where they are now, predominantly most people, if that is what happens, most people will be better served in a variable. Um, but it also comes down to budget. It also comes down to, you know, can people stomach the change in payments can they stomach you know that ability to to have a little bit of ambiguity and where things end up and if the rates don't follow you know the current projections and they do go up another two percent or another three percent what kind of position is that going to leave that person in no, no matter how unlikely and so i think that's a lot of the discussion is kind of this risk versus reward um piece and understanding where you're situated mm -hmm. One other common question that I've been getting a lot is from people that locked in for five years and their mortgages are coming up for renewal. Like what can they expect or what should they be at least aware of um, as they're um, moving forward? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the five year renewals right now are actually kind of interesting um, because those would have been locked in around that 2017 mark where rates were actually not nearly as low as they were during COVID. Um, so you weren't seeing the sub 2% fixed rates at that time. The rates are still higher than, than what those people may have. But I think that the, the biggest expectation I can share is, you know, expecting it, if you want to keep your debt pay down timeline or your amortization the same, you are going to have to move the bar on your payment, right? Um, but for a lot of people, there's two choices to make, right? If you simply renew with your bank, you're keeping the existing mortgage balance, you're keeping the existing amortization, and you're locking into the prevailing rates of the day. For a lot of people who might be a little bit more cash flow conscious, um, and whether or not this this serves a bigger picture strategy is is going to be unique to each individual. But they're taking the opportunity to perhaps refinance instead, and extend that amortization, which is going to you know minimize the change on those payments, perhaps even negate the change on the payment entirely in exchange for paying that loan over a longer period of time. Which means ultimately over the long term they are going to pay more interest, but. You know, for people where affordability is stretched, we're seeing peak inflation in food and gas and, and all these other categories. You know, at some point, there's a balance in understanding that, look, even though this may make your long-term financial situation not as, as attractive in terms of your debt pay-down strategy, for many people, it's just a function of being able to ensure that they can afford to, to continue their lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? And, and continue to move forward with being able to put food on the table and gas in the car. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think the most important piece is, is making sure that, you know, you're reaching out to your professionals, reaching out to your brokers. The spread in lending rates right now is very wide. We're seeing some lenders that are as far apart as half a percent or more for the same type of product. Um, and, and that tends to happen when we get into like a super volatile rate market. And so ensuring that you're positioned for that renewal with the best possible lender and making sure that somebody's looking around and understanding what options are on the table for your situation is incredibly important. Yeah, I think you've made a lot of great points and even kind of opened up my eyes to some things that I'm not touch, touching base on with my agents or even with clients. Um, now, last question I have for you, and then I'll turn it back over to Mike, but what do you feel is like the biggest piece of advice that you can either give to a buyer or a seller right now? It's a great question. Um, two different pieces, probably. Um, for buyers, I think, I think the important discussion for, for buyers and, and quite honestly, the realtors is understanding that um, from this point on, so from that last rate hike onwards, every subsequent rate hike is going to decrease the amount of mortgage you can qualify for. Um, so mortgages are qualified using payments, not balances. So when you qualify for mortgage, you don't qualify for 200,000 or 300,000, you qualify for a $2,500 payment or a $3,000 payment. And based on a set of assumptions, that payment then gets backed out into a mortgage size. Um, and so as rates go up, the rate assumption around your qualification goes up. And what that means is a $2,000 payment equates to a much bigger mortgage when the mortgage rates are 3% than it does when the mortgage rates are 6%. Um, and so understanding that pre-approval, a pre-approval that you got two months ago, for many, many people, you would not be able to qualify for that today. And so for buyers, it's important to, to, first of all, work with somebody who knows what they're doing, because unfortunately, the bar, the industry in, in mortgage brokering is, is quite low. It's a one-week course, um, and that's it. And, and unfortunately, in the banking sector, um, the, the staff, I, I used to work at the bank, so no, you know, no prejudice against them, but the tenure of the staff and the experience of the staff and the branch levels can be widely varied from industry experts who've been around the industry for a very long time and know very well what they're doing you know, to people that are, that have been on the job and in the industry for three months. And so making sure you're working with somebody who really understands what's going on and can guide you in the right way. There's nothing worse than, you know, getting a pre-approval in April, walking to your, your mortgage professional or bank in, in July and saying, Hey, I bought a house, but they might be pre-approved me for, and they turn around and say, uh, no, sorry, you can't be pre-approved for that anymore. That the situation's changed. Right. Um, so for buyers to have their finger on that pulse and understand how each subsequent change is going to affect both their affordability and their monthly payments, as well as their ability to qualify for that debt. Um, the other comment I would make, one more, one more piece on buyers. I've seen more deals in the last three months around, hey, I bought a home unconditional with the expectation that my home was going to sell no problem and it hasn't sold. And now I'm in a situation um, so just having a really good pulse with your agents on what is the strategy? Are we going to buy before we sell? Are we going to sell before we buy? How marketable is, is the home that you're selling? How much wiggle room are you comfortable with on, you know, if the market's not willing to pay the price you think it's worth, you know, it, are you comfortable resetting expectations by hundreds of thousands if that's what it comes to to complete your purchase? And, and so that really piggybacks into the, the sell side, which is, you know, on the seller's end, understanding that your homes aren't going to be worth what they were worth in February or March. And more importantly, they're not going to sell as quickly. This idea of, you know, we put list a home on Thursday, it's sold by Monday in competition. We're not seeing that nearly as much anymore. 
Um, and so especially if you're tagging it into a subsequent purchase, it's really important to understand that the market has shifted and understand what you're going to do with the mortgage that's on that house. Because for many people that, that may have locked in previously, there's great rates that they have that they'll likely want to port. Um, and understanding that capability and understanding how that plays into your next situation is also incredibly important. That's very, very helpful. I, I don't know about you, Anna, but I think covered pretty much everything you hope to today. Um, David, anything you want to add before, uh, before, before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I guess what I would just add is, is, you know, this is a very dynamic environment. This outlook, the bank guidance, the economic guidance is changing weekly. Um, so, you know, ensuring that if you're in a position that you're looking at a purchase or you have a renewal coming up, making sure that you're being proactive, getting as far ahead of it as you can and understanding the implications of everything that needs to go into your renewal or your refinance or your purchase in today's market is going to yield a huge benefit. Do not leave things to the last minute. Um, the further ahead of it you get, the better the chances that you're going to be well positioned to take advantage of the, the best possible cost savings available. Um, and understand that, you know, this market may continue to change and things may shift, you know, trying to, to catch that bottom for the buyers is likely not the best approach. We've, we've seen it time and time again, people saying, oh, you know what, markets can drop again in the next six months. You know, if you understand what you can afford, if you understand the situation you're in, finding something that you love, making sure it's something that's affordable, um, you know, trying to time the market in housing is, is just as challenging as trying to time it in stocks, which is for, for most people, it's a coin flip um, and, and, you know, more often than not ends up in a, in a worse situation than, you know, had you just gone after what you wanted to go after, making sure that it was well within your means. I think my biggest <laughs> takeaway was just like, there's no cookie cutter solution. And that's why amazing professionals like you are around, Dave, that we can go and talk to, get really good glimpses of what's happening, what we could potentially expect and just overall things to be aware of. So thank you for all your contribution and advice. Yeah, no problem. And, and I guess the last thing to mention for, for those watching that haven't worked with a mortgage broker before is um, predominantly our services are free, similar to that of a, a buyer's agent as a realtor. Our compensation comes from the lenders that we work with. So there are some cases where that's not the case, but we're very upfront and transparent for, for clients that may be in a situation like that. Um, but to be able to have that call and get that guidance and, and for us to take you through that process or another mortgage professional in, in the brokering side is certainly something that, that most people don't have to pay for. Um, and although I, I do love the banks, because they're only one institution with one set of rates and one set of products in, in such a dynamic environment, there could certainly be value in working with somebody who can kind of scan the entire situation and, and your situation and the lending landscape and figure out who the right fit is for your need. Awesome. Well, thank you so Perfect. much. Really appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Enjoy uh, the rest of your evening.